Let's just pray together. We're so excited about you, Lord Jesus. It's so wonderful to be in your presence all of the time. You never leave us, not for one moment, not for one millisecond, have you abandoned us or left us alone. We have a hope of eternity with you. Pray that you'd open the scriptures to us, Lord. Open our hearts. Let us hear what you have to say to us. Give us ears to hear and a heart to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Um, Well, a bit thinner on the ground today. That might be because of half term and... Also, that there's a second service this afternoon at four o'clock. So if you haven't had enough this morning, come back this afternoon and join everyone else that's not here. I can see that the youth have decided which service they belong to. And um, come and join them this afternoon at at four o'clock. That would be fantastic. I'm going to be here myself. So uh, today... uh, Oh, sorry, I just wanted to say, I, I thought our worship band was fantastic today. I, I feel such pride in my heart over the band. I think you are absolutely magnificent, and I include the, the PA desk. I think you just do us so proud. We're just thrilled. Yeah, really good. That's not what I wanted. That's what I want. Um, Okay, so disciples know that they are going to heaven. Um, We're going to look at a passage of scripture today from the Gospel of John and look at some other scriptures from the Gospel of John. It's my favorite gospel. I love John's gospel because it lets you into conversations that Jesus has with individuals. There's only a few of them, but they're deep personal conversations, and we get to eavesdrop personally on what he's got to say. And it's mind-blowing, life-changing. And um, a passage, a theme throughout the, the Gospel of John is that he hits it head on, is that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He's the exact representation, the Son of God, God himself, one part of the trilogy of the Holy Trinity. And it's amazing how people encounter him and discover for themselves that Jesus is God. Well, one of the things that Jesus has to say in John is that... um, Disciples know that they're going to heaven. Or disciples know that they have an eternal home. And Jesus had been with his disciples for about three years. He'd already told, began to tell them that his purpose was to, to come and to die upon the cross, to take upon himself, as we've sang, the sins of the people so that we could be restored, forgiven, and restored into right relationship with the Father. And he's getting to the point where he knows that he's going to the cross. 
And so he's preparing them. Because he says, as we're going to see in a moment, let not your hearts be troubled. He cares about our hearts. He doesn't want our hearts to be troubled about anything. And you know that the heart is the seat of all emotion. It's the seat of our physical emotion. It's the seat of our spiritual well-being. It's the, it's the home of the Holy Spirit. It's where our mind resides. You might think it's in your brain, but it's not. It's in your heart. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, the mouth speaks. And he's saying that because it's the wellspring of, of, what, of who we are as a person. Everything as a person resides here in the heart. And he's concerned about our hearts. So, um, so he's preparing his disciples that he's going to be leaving them and returning to the Father. And if you haven't experienced death, I'm sort of looking at younger people, really. Don't worry, you will at some point. Because it comes to us all. That's the reality of life. That's, at some point, we're going to die. Or at some point, those close to us are going to die. And he knew that his disciples were going to be heartbroken, have this heart-rending pain in their hearts when he was gone. And he wanted to prepare their hearts to say, this is not the end. You know where I'm going to. This was brought home to me. As I, I've been away on a conference, I go on a conference twice a year, and um, this past weekend was one of them. And on the Friday morning, I go with my brother, Kim and I go together, and my brother and his wife go. And we've been doing this for about 20 years now, and um, we've made some really close friends. On, it's a business conference. We've made some really close friends because the same group come together. And we love these people. But firstly, on Friday morning, we, we get a call in our room from my, my brother's wife, Helen, who's really upset. Her dad has had a serious heart attack and been rushed into hospital. And we, we, we get to their room and we, we sit together and we pray. And Helen is understandably really upset, not knowing whether her dad's going to live or not, whether she will see him again. And she gets upset and starts to weep. She says, I, oh, he needs to know where he's going to. He doesn't know where he's going to. And so we pray, and we pray for God's mercy and favor upon, upon him, John. And he's alive. They kept him alive. And he's going to have some major surgery and stuff. And then before Friday was out, we, we have a, an evening dinner together. There's a lot of people. 
And the friends, some of our friends came into our room because we had a bigger room to have a drink before dinner. And I'd been working on my sermon. And um, I, it was up on the screen. And one of the chaps, one of, my, one of our friends, good friends, Len, he said, um, I, I didn't realize he's looking over my shoulder at the screen and my sermon. He said, he said what's that? I said, oh, oh it's my, my sermon notes for Sunday. He starts to well up in his eyes. He said, we've been talking a lot about this. Where do we go when we die? You see, we all have a heart and we all want to know, where do I go when I'm, when I'm dead? Where will my loved one go? Do you know where you're going? Do you have an assurance where you're going? Jesus wants you to have the assurance. He doesn't want your heart to be troubled. Let's read the scripture. This is from John 14. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'd go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, Show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe in me that I am the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus already said to them, I'm, I'm going to the Father. And in my Father's house there are many mansions. Why does he say, if it were not so, I would have told you? It's because he wants to double emphasize the truth of what he's saying. Jesus often emphasizes the truth. Sometimes he says, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, get hold of this truth. This is the truth. I am preparing a place for you. 
It's going to be a nice place. It's going to be a really nice place. Beyond your wildest imaginations or dreams. You could think of the best five-star hotel. It's nothing compared to what Jesus is preparing for you and me. Because he's the king. In the king's quarters, there are nice rooms. He wants us to be with him. And that's been his plan from the beginning of time. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know? I just want to say, it's okay to ask questions. And Jesus comes out with this famous saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Philip asks the same sort of question. Lord, show us the Jesus, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. Does question, does Jesus have the authority to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Does he have that authority? In the society that we live, some would argue that we live in a tolerant society, that all religions are equal, that it's an arrogant thing to say, maybe even bigoted, intolerant, divisive. Why should we believe Jesus? Well, firstly, we're going to look at who Jesus says he is, some of the scriptures from John. And thirdly, we will look at some of the works that Jesus did that assures us that he's the way to heaven. Because that's what Jesus said. If you don't believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, if you don't believe that I am God, then look at the works for themselves and ask yourself the question, if I was not God, could these works have been done? If Jesus is not God, does he have authority to say these words? So let's just look a little bit further. Jesus says, this is the first point, who does Jesus say that he is? Jesus says that in my Father's house, that is God the Father. And by correlation... In my father's house means that he is addressing him as his son. Hello? Do you agree with that? Jesus is the son of God. And it is the son of God who is saying these words. He has the father's agreement to go and prepare a room for us. He's not just bowling up there and inviting his friends and having a secret party. We've experienced that once or twice in our house. It's, it's a tricky thing when it happens. When you see kids pouring out of your house that you didn't know. No, Jesus has got the Father's agreement. This is not some private party he's arranging. 
where he's getting his mates around for a one-off event, for a one-off party. No, I'm sure we're going to have a party, but this is with the Father's approval. He's making a room for us. He's actually getting the party ready, the rooms ready for us to stay a long time with him. It's going to be comfortable. Moreover, not just a son, a son in the sense that he is inferior to the Father, comes in below the Father. No, it's absolutely clear that Jesus is God. That the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God in different dimensions, but one God. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, Philip, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me. Because in his very nature, Jesus himself is God. So Jesus has authority to say these words. I suggest, strongly, because he is God. And let's look at what the Apostle John has to say. I love this. He doesn't pussyfoot around John with an introduction to his gospel. These are the opening words in the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word. Does that sound familiar to you? In the beginning. The first words in the book of Genesis. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word is Jesus. The Word was with God, and the, was with God, and the Word was God. There it is. Bam. Boom. Right there. Jesus is God. In the second line of the Gospel. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. If Jesus is not God, how could he, how could he be in the beginning, before the time began? How could he make the worlds? John wants you to reconcile this passage with Genesis. That Jesus is God. I, when I play golf, I pray for the people I play with. Not, not that they should be better at golf, but I, <laughs> I, I pray for them. I have an, an opportunity to speak to them about God. And um, one chap I prayed with, um, and we had a conversation all the way around. And he said to me, um, when, I, when, I, when things become too much for me, overwhelming, he said, I, I've got a book on the cosmos. And um, I get it out and have a look at the pictures. And it, it makes me realize that, that um, I'm not very significant when I look at how big the universe is. I looked at him 
He's a lovely man. I looked at him and I said, Kelvin, when I get down, I go to the one that created the cosmos. He looked at me. <laughs> because it's a bold statement to make, but this is the truth. This is the truth. We have access to the one who created the universe and who continues to create. And having made the heavens in Genesis, we read that then God said, let us make man in our image, in our image, that's the Trinity, according to our likeness. We see the Trinity wanting to share their lives with something other than God. It's an amazing statement. You know that God is love and everything he does is motivated by love. He cannot be anything else. That's who he is. That is his character, his being. The whole aspect of him, he's motivated by love in everything that he does. And he wants relationship with someone other than himself. Which would be perfect, by the way. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They, have, they never have a crossword with each other. They're never not on the same hymn page. They love one another and are perfect, perfectly complemented. And his heart is to have express love to someone other than God, which happens to be you and I. And you know the story of Adam and Eve, how it was perfect in the garden. And then sin came in. And because God is a perfect, holy God, there was separation between mankind and God. And the whole of the Old Testament is about the story of how God continue, continually tried to uh, restore relationship with his children who were rebellious. How his heart kept, was, was always for them and wanting relationship. But, but they were going off on a, on a frolic of their own, mostly, for most of them. And God sent prophets who spoke of the one that was to come. That would be the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the one that for all time would, that would restore God's children to himself, that would forgive their sins so that God could be in perfect relationship with his children. And the Apostle John sets this out clearly. He says... He says about Jesus, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. He was born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. 
the glory as of the only begotten, the, the only unique Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's always been God's plan to have relationship with his children. When his children went awry, his plan was to put a plan in place to bring us back to him and restore him. Because he wants us to be with him. Not only on this life, on earth, but also after we have died. That is his plan. John is totally supported by this. By John the Baptist. There hasn't been a prophet in Israel for 400 years. And John the Baptist comes, a prophet to the nation of Israel, saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And John says, John the Baptist this is, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him, and I did not know him, but he sent me to baptize with water and said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is God. We have a first-hand witness statement that the prophet John the Baptist says this is the Son of God, Jesus. Elsewhere, John declares, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes, the sin, takes away the sins of the world. This was Jesus' plan. And if we think about Jesus for long enough, or read the Bible, we're bound to ask questions. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. He was an important teacher in Israel. You'd think this man would have had it all sorted out, but he didn't, and that's okay. Because we get an insight to where he, his heart was. He comes to Jesus by night, and he says to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then follows a discourse where Nicodemus says, How can someone be born again? How can he... How can he go back into his mother's womb? It is an impossibility. And Jesus alludes to a, a second birth, a spiritual birth. And he says to him, which, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's pointing to the cross. Listen to these words, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know eternal means eternal. It means, it, it means eternal, it means no end. 
The Bible's good like that. It uses words that indicate what they, what they mean. He's not, he's not um, using a word that, that's inappropriate. It's eternal. And he, he emphasized, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, the unique son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. Listen, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Does Jesus have authority to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father except through me. Because we have to question what Jesus says here. And we take him on face value. Do we believe him or not believe him? And if you're still not persuaded, let's look at some of the works in John's Gospel. Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman. The disciples are amazed because he's talking to her. Jews don't talk to Samaritan people full stop because they considered them to be unclean, filthy even. And more than that, he's talking to a woman. Not only a woman, but an unclean woman. A sinful woman. Because he says to her, where's your husband? And she says, I haven't got a husband. Jesus said, that's right. You've had five husbands and the one that you're with now is not your husband. And we see this great discourse that takes place, which is just wonderful to be in on it. How he meets this person like us at our point of need and reveals the Father's heart to her. To love her, care for her, embrace her. He says to her, salvation is from the Jews. And she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. And he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. Straight out of, this is not meant to be irreverent, straight out the horse's mouth, Jesus says, I am the Messiah. The one sent by God. God himself. Jesus feeds the 5,000. By the way, in the Samaritan woman, he demonstrates he crosses all cultural boundaries of ethnicity, 
gender, sinfulness, whatever boundary you want to put in place to say, Jesus can reach you, but you can't reach him. Jesus knocks that wall flat and says, I'm here for everybody. Let me see him feeding the 5,000, demonstrating that he not only cares for spirituals, the person's spiritual needs, but he cares for the whole person. He wants, he wants those that are there to be fed and nourished. He says, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet who is coming into the world because if Jesus is not God, how can he feed 5,000 people and all the children from two loaves and five fish? If he's not God, how could he do that? Jesus encounters the woman caught in the very act of adultery. The Jewish leaders, they bring her to him. They've caught her right in the very act. And they dump her at his feet. And they say, Moses says that a person caught in adultery should be stoned. What do you say? And you know the story, how he bends down and starts to write on the ground. And he gets up and he says to them, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he gets back down on his haunches with his doodles on the ground, whatever he's doing there. And after a while, one by one, from the oldest then to the youngest, they leave. Because they know that they're sinners. And he says to the lady, where have your accusers gone? She said, they're no longer here. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Who has power to forgive sins except for God? Jesus finds a blind man been born blind from death, uh, from birth, sorry. And he heals him. He makes some clay and wipes it on his eyes and sends him off to the pool of Siloam to go and wash. And when he comes back, he's, he's received his sight. He did this on a Sunday, which upset the Jews, the, the leaders. And so they questioned the man. And they said, what happened? So he tells them. And they said, well, it surely can't be him because a man who is a sinner who does this on a, on a Sunday is a sinner and a sinner couldn't heal anybody. And so 
they call him in and he says, he tells them the story. Then they call in his parents and say, is this the man? We, surely it's somebody else. He must be lying because we know this Jesus. And they said, no, this is, this is our son. And yet, yes, he was blind from birth. We don't know how it's happened. Why don't you ask him? He's old enough to, to speak up for himself. So they get him back in. And he said, I've already told you the story. This man came. He must be from God because who else other than God could heal one born from, that was born blind from birth? Only God can do that. Do you want to be his disciples? He says to them. Great question. And they get really angry and throw him out. Throw him out of the synagogue. Throw him out of the, of the community where he belonged. Jesus goes and finds him. Says to him. He said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he did the only right thing when you encounter God. He worshipped him. You know the story of Jesus and Lazarus in preached so well on it recently. I'm not going to go through it again, but when Martha said to him, she said to him, um, if you'd have been here, he would have been saved. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And whoever believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Kim and I have have been in the car we we don't argue a lot but we've had some arguments in the car and it's usually been about directions where I think I know where I'm going and she knows that I don't <laughs> and it gets to the point where she says why don't you stop and ask somebody the way what's wrong with you ask him stop the car ask him the way is this a male thing? I, 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 it sort of, it sort of um, offends me to think she doesn't believe that I know the way, and I believe that I do know the way. And um, we've had, it's, it's happened on more than one occasion, actually. <laughs> and here we have the satnav, the godly satnav. For those that are lost. My friend Len, who I told you about, 
Did I say to you that I, I look, who, who said he's, he got emotional and was said, um, we've been asking about you know, what's happening after, after um, when we die. I, I went on the website and, uh, where he lives in Dunblane in Scotland. And this Tuesday, there is an alpha starting. This Tuesday, there is an alpha starting in Dunblane, and he's asking the question, how do I know the way after I'm dead? I think God's in this. God is in this. He caused him to see this screen, my, my sermon, because his heart is after him to give him the assurance of where he's going to be when he dies. Let's not be presumptuous to think that we always know the way. Jesus knows the way. He's fully authorized and empowered as the Son of God to say, I am the way. I am the way. You're lost. I am the way. And this is the truth that we've just been reading. This is the truth. The devil comes in order to lie to you and to me and to all our friends to keep you from the truth. And I would have to say that in knowing him is the most wonderful part of my life above anything else. Nothing comes remotely closer than knowing him being in relationship with him. Thought of being separate from him would be unbearable. David said, after he'd committed adultery with Bathsheba, distraught about his sin, he said, create in me a clean heart and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He couldn't bear not being in relationship with God. So, let me ask you a question. Do you know where you're going? Seriously, let me ask you the question. Do you know, do you have assurance where you're going when you die? Anybody else? Yeah. Because if not, you can have assurance before you leave this building today. Let's pray together. He said, uh, Jesus said, also in John, he said, it's good that I go to be with the Father so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. He doesn't want to be separate from us for one moment. He wants to be totally in our lives. He wants you to be totally aware, you and me, of his presence of our eternal destiny, that there is an eternal home for us. 
And he wants to gather in all those that don't yet know him with that same assurance. Let me just ask you a question. Keep heads bowed, eyes shut, please. If you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, to know that, that eternal destiny, can you just put your hand up just so that I can know? I'd like to pray for you. I see your hand. Thank you. Is anybody else? Is anybody else fearful of death? Put your hand up if you're fearful of death. Okay, I see your hand. I'd like to pray for you afterwards so that you can have assurance of your eternal destiny. The Lord himself wants to give you that assurance before you go today. Let's stand together. The Lord, as we've sung, we say, as we've sung in our hearts, what can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, O God, completely to you. We offer you our hearts completely. Thank you. Thank you for coming to find us. Thank you for your forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for giving us the hope of eternity. Thank you for that assurance of being with you when we die. God, we love you. We worship you as the blind man. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We worship you and we give ourselves afresh to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's the end of, of our service.